Hey guys, welcome to the Neglected Podcast. This podcast is not to change your mind, but to invite you into somebody else's narrative. This is a podcast to give a voice to the neglected. It is also an opportunity for all of us to engage. Hi, Neglected Podcast listeners. This is your host, Giovanna. I am so glad to be back. It's been a little bit since I've gotten a host. So I am here today with a special guest. This is Kevin. Say hi, Kevin. Hey, what's going on? And so, Kevin, I met you at a love rally. Um, you and some of your friends have put it together to just get the community together to talk about gun violence. And when I met you at that point, I was thinking about, like, this would be a cool idea for an interview. And so I'm glad, so glad you said yeah yes to it um this is our first time actually having a conversation conversation so i'm excited for the listeners to be a part of that as well so i do just want to start from just you telling me about you where you're from your family your background all that stuff well uh, i'm uh, born and raised in savannah georgia um went to high school girls high school graduated played high school ball uh, i've been here my whole life um have a two-year-old daughter it's pride and joy that's probably my biggest motive that's no that is my biggest motivation um, coaching high school basketball at my old school. So uh, I get the chance to help 20, 25 young men, plus the rest of the school, you know, help them and guide them a little bit. Um, that's me, I'm in a church, family oriented, uh, St. Paul CME, uh, Pastor Th- uh, Thurman's my pastor. I'm just, just grateful to be here. You know, thankful for the opportunity to come and speak with you. Um, you know, just, Thankful and glad. You yeah. Know? That's cool. So we had talked a little bit before. So this isn't the first time, first time we're talking. But you, when you said that you were from Savannah, I'm from Savannah as well. And I'm interested to kind of highlight that our experiences, like just because we're from the same city, right. our experiences are very different. Um, so I do want to talk a little bit about that. Like what was like your childhood like? What was elementary school your experiences there? Uh, man, Savannah is, is, for the most part, Savannah's been good to me. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really have it, you know, rough as as some, you know, it, was, it wasn't like a, a not going home, not having lights on type of struggle, but struggles was definitely there at times. Uh, my mom was a single parent for a long time, taking care of me and my little brother. So uh, it was definitely times where you know, she was working, you know, two or three jobs to make sure we were good. And, you know, my granddad had to make sure we were took care of. And, uh, you know, my great granddad and my great grandma, uh, she passed September. Mm-hmm. Those two probably were the biggest two that raised me and my little brother coming up. So uh, when it came to going, getting from school, we used to go to the house a lot. And, um, you know, I, I grew up, I didn't grow up in a, you know, the, a bad part of Savannah, I would say, you know, but you know, it was all around the city. So yeah, it was things that I did grow up seeing, you know, like I said, my life wasn't as bad as, as some, you know, but uh, that just come from, I guess, just being blessed. you know, I did lose homeboys coming up in, in high school. Uh, I lost my first friend. I was in like ninth grade to gun violence and, um, I lost a good bit to gun violence, so that has been something I've always dealt with once I did get older. Um, so growing up in Savannah, it was one of those things where sports, sports took care of us. Yeah, The whole city, no matter where you're from, east side, west side, south side, we played sports. So, you know, we start off on Daffin Park every Saturday, 
everybody played for their respected team. So I, I grew a lot of bond and relationships with a lot of, you know, good dudes that became, you know, my brothers. So um, everybody came from different paths, different ways, but, you know, we all kind of looked at each other as family mm-hmm. and we kind of always took care of one another. So Savannah to me has always been a together city, yeah. no matter what people say, no matter, you know, how they portray it sometimes, man, Savannah has been good, you know. Um, I look at Savannah and I see more than what people think it is. Savannah cares mm-hmm. about each other. Uh, we look out for one another. And I think that's the biggest thing, me coming up. Like, I never, it was never a time where I couldn't go to one of my friend's parents and ask for something or they wasn't yeah. doing for for me. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing with growing up. I always had people in my corner that uh, looked out for me. And it was the same way. My side, my mama let people come stay at the house, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, she fed fed my friends, fed my little brother friends, and she she treated them all like they were her own kids. And same as a lot of my 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 brothers' mothers, they took care of me as if I was their own. So uh, growing up, I definitely I didn't have it bad, but I definitely can say Savannah has taught me a lot, and that's why uh, I think I'm here and I, I come back to my city. And I don't I, I think I'm gonna be here for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is that joke of like. Some of us don't get to leave. Yeah, 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 most definitely. Because <laughs> that, I, that's been my my story with Savannah is right. I went to college here and just ended up staying here. I did have that moment of like wishing that yeah. my city was Atlanta <laughs> and wanting to be where there was more stuff going on. That was the thing. But I, I see exactly what you're saying of that right. support. And yeah. so I would imagine, especially just what you brought up of that experience of losing a friend to gun violence, but then even when you go back, like the things you're talking about of of a mom, a, like a single mom working multiple jobs, having people that you knew would take care of you, I'm right. sure that made such a difference because there is that risk, right. you know, like if you don't have people around you when you're experiencing stuff like that, you right. can get into a lot more. And uh, and I and I could my stepdad, man, my stepdad came in my life. I was about 12, 12 years old, eleven. And uh, he he picked up a lot of he, he, well I wouldn't say picked up a lot of slack but he uh, he helped my mom a lot mm-hmm. and once he came in there was a, a a male figure that was actually in the house with me um, that he he really did a lot for me he he taught me a lot showed me a lot he guided me so you know as I got older the pivotal times where you know it was somebody I could actually turn to I had a lot of coaches and a lot of uncles and I had my dad too my dad was still in my life but. Uh, once my stepdad came around, it was it was a different it was a different feeling having somebody in the house with you that you could go to and that was that was there for you. So uh, that's one person like out of everybody who's been in my life and helped, you know, that's one person I could say like that really you know he took care of me and really <coughs> taught me a whole lot and showed me you know how to be a man and, mm-hmm. and, and taught me how to really grow up and and, and stand on your own two feet. So yeah. uh, I commend him a lot for that. And I mean, two boys coming in, you know, me and my little brother was rough. I know it. I know it. we weren't the, we weren't the, the, the best children, but uh, he helped us out. And even to this day, like, that's probably one of my my, my biggest supporters yeah. through everything. So uh, I definitely can say he has taught me a lot. Um, it's really just, like I said, Savannah, Georgia, man, this is my home, man. I mm-hmm. love my city uh, from the coaches, teachers, uh, family members, pastors. Um, everybody's always been in my corner. Everybody's always supported me. Uh, even my friends, like 
I, I, everybody always kind of took care of me and, and took me under their wings. So I can honestly say Savannah has is definitely a, a a place I could always call home, whether yeah. I was to leave or stay. So no, no, I love that. I love that that for you, there's been that level of support, and I feel like in times of just even when I went to the the love rally that you put together, I was. So I, I was just so blown away, like seeing the mayor there and seeing right. the the chief of police there, just seeing other key leaders there. That meant a lot to me right. um, showing up to that. And so I do want to touch on for you, you had mentioned gun violence being a part of of your experience growing up. What was it like being in ninth grade and losing your best friend? Uh, uh, Trey, 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 we played sports together. So Trey really, I wouldn't even say he was the best. He was like my, he was like a brother to me. He was one of my brothers. Like, you know, growing up, growing up playing sports, you all become family. Um, that was my first time really dealing with gun violence. That's the first one I lost. And uh, it was, I didn't really know how to really take it. Cause mm -hmm. it was like, yeah, a friend died, but like <clears throat> the whole gun violence part didn't really register to me at that point. Yeah. Um, it was like sad. I cried. Um, it wasn't till uh i lost rashad spain where it was like man wow i lost i lost him february 14 2014 uh valentine's day mm. when 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 span got killed it kind of was like wow man that's that's somebody i was with you know every day at one point you know um and then 2016 jabri bryant i was like like a big cousin to me, you know. I yeah. played ball with him since I was six, seven years old. So um, when, when I lost those two, it really, it did something to me because those were two that really were, you know, a part of my, my childhood. You know, yeah. those, were, those were two guys I, I turned to. Uh, Jabri was a, a, a dude I turned to a lot, often to talk to about more than just basketball, but life. Um, he was definitely really inf influential to me coming up playing college ball because he was playing college ball. Um, so those three, those were probably my first three as in like young age, like people I lost to gun violence. And it was others I lost that I knew, you know, it was a lot of people that got killed in Savannah that I knew and was around, but those three were three that I can really say uh, impacted me. And then uh, a couple of months ago when, when Brian, Brian got killed, that was a, a kid I watched play ball, played with him in the gym. Um, it kind of brought back that memory yeah. of those guys because you know I felt for his his close friends because I remember I was I was them one day, so um, remembering you know the guys I lost when once you know I got that call about Brian and I saw you know that he 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 was killed it kind of was like a deja vu almost yeah so um it's it's just one of those things man that. You know, growing up in Savannah, you you never you never want to see it, you never want to be a part of it. But it's it's almost like it's a it's a norm in Savannah. Yeah. You know, growing up, it, it was you saw it. You know, you saw it, and it's just as I got older, you started seeing it more frequently, and then the ages just got younger. You know, yeah. being in the school system, working in the school system, I see 15, 16 year olds losing their life, and uh, I've seen, you know, students I was with every day, I've seen them lose their life. And um, 
it's it's hard sometimes it, it hurt but then at the same time it's almost like you become numb to it yeah like you hear it and it's like oh man you know so that's really why i did the rally when i did it it was just one of them things where it was like we can't keep being numb to it like we can't just keep thinking it's all right that you know mothers and fathers are burying their kids and uh that's the hardest part about growing up in savannah you know and really i see the world i mean because yeah. i mean that's what's really going on parents aren't you know, dying and their kids are burying them. His, his parents are literally burying their kids and the kids are not even experiencing life. Yeah. You know, so when I did the rally, that was my biggest thing is just bringing guys together and, you know, showing that and saying like, hey man, we got to do something to stop it. And I mean, I knew it wouldn't stop right then, but all I could do is, is use my voice and, and try to be a, a familiar face and an image to people and just, just kind of lead and show that man, just just because you're from the city, just because you grew up in a certain area, just because you grew up a certain way doesn't mean you have to, you know, be a quote unquote statistic. So yeah. that was my biggest thing. Now, that's just kind of how I carry myself, uh, lead by example. And everybody see me, they, you know, I'm always smiling, goofy. Um, that's kind of how I try to carry myself. Um, so that was my biggest thing with the rally, just show people that, you know, you, you, you don't have to be a a part of the it crowd. You don't have to be, uh, you know, a certain type of person to live your life. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing going on right now. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that what I appreciated about what you guys put together was it felt like an invitation into trying to come up with a solution. Right. Because I think you're exactly right. We can become numb to it especially being from here, it's not an uncommon thing just to hear that there was a shooting. Right. Um, and it can just be that this is the norm. Right. This is just how things are. And there can be, along with the numbness, just like a a hopelessness, like we're not being imaginative right. of like how to make a difference. And I don't want to take away from the nonprofits that we have here because we have tons of Right. of people who are trying that they're right. putting in the work especially with youth because i remember that would being the empath that like emphasis there of we need to be going to the towards the kids we right. need to be mentoring them because like everything that you said in your story you had men in your life right. that were molding and shaping you you had your dad in your life you had uncles you had teachers you right. had coaches um I can't help but think that that is a step in a direction of some sort. I think one thing I say about mentoring is, and uh, <coughs> like you said, I don't, I don't knock any organization, mm -hmm. no nonprofit organization, but it, it's some good, it's some good guys doing things that you know maybe you know maybe not getting the same credit because they're not on front street with it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of guys doing things, but my biggest thing is mentoring doesn't have to have a, a, a currency on it, money on it. Mentoring yeah. is definitely is. It's going out and finding kids, excuse me, finding kids and finding young men who maybe just need some guidance. Um, it's not always about, you know, putting them in a building and, you know, taking them this place, taking them that place and showing them, which that is good. But I think some guys and some of these kids just want somebody to just kind of show them you love them, you know, show them, show them you care about them and that, that it is, it is somewhere there for them. And uh, I think sometimes... We get away from that. Like yeah. when you, I feel once you put an organization, once you put a name on the organization, sometimes that can maybe take away from 
certain things because now you know you have grants coming in, you have money coming in. Now you feel obligated to do certain things with that money and things like that. So um, I feel like mentoring, you know, if, if I get two kids and I'm reaching those two, there are two more kids I might be getting out the street. Yeah. So if I got 50 of my homeboys and then 50 of my, you know, coaches or uncles or older men, and we all went and found two young boys that maybe need some guidance, you know, those that's, you know, uh, uh, 200 kids Yeah. that is, is getting, you know, mentored and is getting guidance. And I think that's the biggest thing. I think that's the biggest thing that's going on in the world right now that we aren't mentoring. We aren't really re trying to reach them as like one-on-one kind of sometimes. And I, at the same time, I think it's almost like it's a fear because the, this generation is kind of uh, rebellious. Yeah. You know, at times I think that because some, you know, some of us, I say not, I won't say fear the kids, but a lot of, of us didn't grow up with disrespect. You know, mm-hmm. I'm young, so, you know, I'm kind of in the midst. So I really don't get it as much because the kids kind of, you know, they still can relate to me. But, you know, older generations, you know, they don't deal with disrespect. So the men and the kid disrespect them, uh, you know, do anything out the way. It's almost like, yeah, I, I can't yeah. I can't help you. So um, I think right now that's just, just, just bridging that gap and connecting the, the older generation to the younger generation. And just getting the younger generation to kind of open their ears and open mm-hmm. their eyes and see that, you know, it is people that help them, man. You know, they don't have to, you know, be whatever, you know, their favorite rapper. Yeah. Or, or do whatever their favorite rapper is doing. Because I think that's what's going on right now. They're following, you know, the trend, thinking yeah. that's what's cool. Yeah. So. Well, that's the age that you're looking for, right. like, who am I? And... Right looking for some something to define you and it's exactly what you said of just it's, it's just that easy but I think that we do make it bigger than it needs to be right. like so as a coach and you also teach PE and you're around that age range what are you observing that's different with this current generation that's coming up um the the biggest thing with this younger generation is uh they don't listen. They mm-hmm. they they speak before they listen. Um, mm-hmm. They don't they don't really think before they speak or act, or, and they don't really see the consequence for their actions. They don't they don't believe that this can happen to them. So they kind of they don't live without they they live with no fear. Like this generation isn't scared to die almost. Yeah, and that's the scary thing about it. This generation isn't scared to you know lose their life for whatever they believe in and uh they just they they lack they lack knowledge mm-hmm. and they lack guidance mm-hmm. um i believe that this generation is is probably one of our most innovative generations because they they have the resources to do a lot of things so it's it's not a coincidence that you're seeing 17 18 year old entrepreneurs right now yeah because they have it but it's almost they just they just lack that guidance they lack that that knowledge, they don't really, they don't want help. Yeah. They want to do it on their own. And at the same time, that's I think this is the microwave stage. Mm. If it's not done right then, yeah. then that's, that's not what they want. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. And then uh, just finding themselves, um, this generation doesn't believe that they can do more, mm-hmm. you know? 
Um, most of them want to play ball, want to rap, and they don't really see the, the 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 outside of that. I mean, you have a lot of kids that you know they want to be doctors, they want to be lawyers, they want to do different things, but they don't see the bigger picture of things. Like, yeah, yeah you want to go play basketball, but you know, what if you're an analyst? What if you're a physical therapist? What if you're you're still around a sport that you love, and you you might not make it to the NBA, or even with you know rapping and singing. Uh, there's so many other things that go into it. I was yeah. talking to a, a, a kid yesterday about it. I was like, you don't have to have a mic to be successful. I mean, you could be a producer, engineer. You can. There's so many other things you can do in the music industry to, you know, help you that you don't have to have a mic. And I just think this generation just needs a little more push. Mm. I would say a little more push. Um, I won't say they're bad off. They just need need some real guidance and somebody really to grab them. Yeah. And I think someone just need a little belt to them. Just take off your belt. Just beat them a little bit. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I, I think it's so much child abuse going on. You can't really do it. I just, someone just need a little belt. Mm-hmm. That's how I got with me. My mama beat me all the time. Yeah. Shout out to Sheikah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we got we got to shout out our moms. Yeah, yeah. got to. But no, so when you are engage with your students and and then with the, your perspective on gun violence and what you've experienced and kind of what you like have pointed out is that they're they're getting them younger and younger right and it seems like a lot of that is that uh, the influences that they're around the and who they're looking to right to influence them what are some things that you're encouraging them to do what are some of the conversations that that you're finding yourself having um, the biggest conversation, I just asked them, what's their purpose? Mm. I asked them what they want out of life. I asked them, where do they see themselves in five, 10 years? Um, and then once they tell me that, you kind of can see where their head is at. Uh, it's definitely in the music. I tell them all the time. Um, when I talk to them, I tell them that like, your favorite rapper might not be the person you think he is. He's selling albums. He's selling streams. So don't get so caught up in what you see him doing. Because that's not always the life they really live in, and yeah. uh, a lot of them, they're sh- they they are having daily struggles, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I try to just be there f- and have them talk. I think the generation is is really angry, so yeah. I try to really just talk to them and, and just listen to them. Because sometimes we gotta just listen to the younger group and see what what their thoughts on things are. And now that's just really what I've been doing lately, just asking them what their take on everything is, what do they think about it. Because a lot of them just lack the knowledge, you know? So mm-hmm. they don't understand that just because you're having problems with somebody, y'all get the fighting. If you go get a gun and shoot them, that's premeditated murder. You're going to get a 25, you know, that's that's the minimum. You're going to get a 25 to life maximum sentence. And they don't understand that because they're yeah. only thinking that I'm having beef or mm-hmm. my ops is trying me is what they say now, you yeah. know? So my daily conversation with them is just, Hey, be yourself, you know, be you, who you are. Mm-hmm. Don't think you have to be somebody else or portray somebody else to, you know, get friends or be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really the thing I talked to somebody and just really just ask them, like, what do they, what, what do they see? They say, what do they want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them, honestly, that's the question. A lot of them don't really know the answer to. Yeah. And I think that's really what this generation 
is missing. Like they're missing that purpose. They don't really understand mm -hmm. that purpose. So yeah, when you don't understand your purpose, you do things to try to find yourself. And you know, find yourself mean you know you're trying to find what crowd you're supposed to be in. So um, I just talked to him about, hey, be a leader, not a follower. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really what's the biggest thing right now. You know, lead, lead. I tell all my guys, lead, be you. Yeah. Everybody not gonna be with you. Mm -hmm. and that's that's okay. I mean, everybody didn't follow Jesus. Yeah. So I kind of tell them that without without giving it to them, where they might not understand. But I just tell them like, you know, when it comes to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ had twelve disciples. Those were the twelve main followers. I mean, those his friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many did Jesus save? So yeah, that's that's the thing I try to let them know. You know, you can be yourself and, and be cool mm -hmm. in your own way. Don't look for somebody else for validation. I tell them that the most. Like. Don't look for other people for validation. Look to other people to, you know, give you a confirmation of who you are. Yeah. So. Was that what really helped you not get swept up in things? Yeah. Um, I, I think I was always a leader. I was a natural born leader. Mm -hmm. I was always somebody that was, I was my own person. Um, that's one thing I can say about my biological dad. Like my dad was like, he was one of those old school dudes who kind of told you like, be yourself, you you be a man, you you be your own man. So coming up, you know, I was always me. I never really mm -hmm. followed the crowd, never yeah. really want to, you know, be somebody else. Um, I think because I played sports, that kind of always separated me a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then uh, once I realized I could be good because uh, I wasn't the most athletic kid growing up. I wasn't the best kid on the football field and basketball court. And then when I finally did start getting older and I started really getting better, that's when I kind of started realizing that you know, I could be my own person. Yeah. But I just, like I said, I just had a support system that always pushed me to be myself. You know, my mom, like I said, there were people who definitely always told me, you know, you be yourself. You don't, you don't have to have friends. Mm -hmm. So that's so how I always was. It just kind of just... I think I was just blessed. Yeah. I was just blessed to have the life I had, had the friends I was around. Um, most of the guys I grew up with, I'm still with. Yeah. And they know, like, when they see me, they know who I am. So they know there's certain stuff I'm not going to do, so they don't even ask me. Mm -hmm. So I think that that speaks volume with my character. I think I said, and that's why I mostly I hang around a lot of guys that have a certain character and certain values to themselves. Yeah. Uh, that's really been helping me. That really helps me. And that really helped me grow up. Yeah. No, I think that's, it seems so simple, but yeah. it's 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 per like the the way you put that, it just clicked in my head of like that is the protective factor. Right. You know, like I know that for me, because we're about to segue to race, so you know, just go ahead and buckle on up. Yeah, I got you, I got you. <laughs> I know that for me as a you know, as a black woman that grew up here, I, I had those protective factors. I had my parents were together and even though there were things that happened in my childhood that weren't great, like right. my mom wasn't always fully present. She was an alcoholic, but my dad was, you know, right. very present and stable and there for me. And and I had people around me. I, I was very close to my grandparents. And so I had those protective factors and their biggest thing was education. Cause right. at that point that was the ticket. I was in college when it crashed down. Right. So <laughs> I was in college when it was like, this plan <laughs> might not work out for you. Um, but they, they pushed me because there, there were a lot of things that they were trying to protect me from, some yeah. of which I didn't understand, you know, 
not getting caught up in what was on TV and what who I needed to be as a black woman or just being, you know, using right. the skills that I'm blessed with and not try to compare myself. I mean, I still had to go through that phase because I was hard-headed and didn't believe right. them. Right. But then just even the things that they, they tried to instill in me, my dad was a really big proponent of, like, he wasn't very coddly. So he was right. very much the, hey, you're black, you're a woman, and you're just going to have to work harder. Right. You have to work harder than everybody. You're just going to. Um, and that hurt because it's like, why? Yeah. Because when I was really young, I didn't see it. Like I didn't, I thought that they were just telling old stories. Right. But as I got older, I became a little bit more aware. And as a woman and just even the field I'm in, I, I don't experience a whole lot of, it's not my daily experience. Right. It happens, small things, people make comments, people make judgments. But for you as a black man, what's your experience been like? Um, and you're fairly tall too, so. <laughs> I I haven't had a lot of like police and racial profiling incidents. I've had a couple of them, you know. Um, one thing, I, I used to work a job over the summer when I it was in high school before I went to school. Um, and that job was predominantly white, mm -hmm. white men. So uh, I saw it, but I was always a person who never really, if, if it never came, to, it was never directly to me. Mm -hmm. I kind of always never really paid any attention. Mm -hmm. And um, because I, I went to that, I worked that job, and then I went to a school that was predominantly white. I saw racism indirectly. Mm. I saw the racism be there, but it was never directed to me. And I think the school I was at, I think it was kind of because of a, a fear of who I was, mm -hmm. that it was never directed. And then the job was kind of like, they really could never come at me about it. Yeah. I think, um, but I've, I've, Definitely saw racism, you know, as a black man. Mm -hmm. I've saw it, but I've never really experienced it as in, you know, really face to face. Yeah. So um I can't really say I've I've been racially profiled mm -hmm. by the police in, in the incidents where I, I, I was scared for my life. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I can't be in those situations. So I was always taught to be prepared, you know. Yeah. I was always taught how to handle the police when you get pulled over. Those are things I learned young when I first started driving. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of helped me. And it's, it's sad that we have to have a conversation about racism. And it, yeah. it's, it exists as it does. But it, it's probably the, the, the worst virus right now. Yeah. Because like, it's been going on for so long. Um, and being a black man in America, you're a threat. Yeah. And, and I feel you're a threat because of the knowledge you have now. It's just not about your physical attributes, you know. Mm -hmm. um, black men are, are well-educated. We have a lot of things to offer. And I think that's the biggest threat to the world. Yeah. Because, you know, we weren't supposed to be you know, who we are. We were supposed to be athletes. We were, we, 
that's what we were supposed to do. You know, we weren't supposed to, uh, excuse me, we weren't supposed to become doctors mm -hmm. and lawyers and, and, and presidents. And I, I think that's the threat. And now it's becoming to the point where you almost like you're trying to get rid of the, you're trying to get rid of the race. You know? mm -hmm. It's sad, uh, but I think that's the biggest thing. So being a black man in America, you know, it's, it's sad we having that conversation. Yeah. Like it, it's the color of my skin shouldn't affect how you live your life. Um, but it's to the point now where we're losing African-American males and females, I say. I, I definitely, because yeah. it's both ways that, you know, something has to change, but it's been going on for, for 400 plus years. So yeah. how do we change it, you yeah. know? And that's what I'm, I'm I wanna keep my hope because I think that for me, joining in the dialogue and in the things that I've decided to do and have begun to do in scaling it down. Like, cause right. I think that I get overwhelmed when I look at it. Cause I don't think my parents did a bad job raising me. I don't think my grandparents did a bad job. I think they gave me what they could, which right. all they knew is that this exists. Right. And so it would be foolish of us not to prepare you. It would right. be foolish of us. And, but my feelings still get, did get hurt because I think growing up, as a kid, I didn't recognize that that's what it was right. until I hit college. Right. And then I got a different history course than the history that I got in high school. And I had different experiences and started having those strange things happen of, for me, it's always been the way I present. And so I've right. always gotten the like, I didn't think that you were going to be black or you sound white, which people didn't recognize that that's a hurtful thing to say. Like you're right. saying, I don't, I should not be Articulate, yeah. you're saying I shouldn't <laughs> know what I know, that I shouldn't be whatever, I like I should school. be a thing that, that you're saying. And I think that my parents did what they needed to do because it would have been, right. it would have done me a disservice if I wouldn't have been prepared. But I have that in my head of like, I wanna have hope that we can have different conversations, but it's right. so overwhelming to think about how much has to go. Yeah. For that to happen. When I was in school, when I went to college, uh, I had a lot of shoes. So the first thing they said was, why you have a lot of shoes? Why you have a lot of shoes? Um, I got in a little trouble in the school and they, you know, they tried to say I sold drugs because I had a lot of shoes and I wore mm -hmm. a hoodie. Um, but I never really paid that no attention. I was like, yeah, all right. I kind of looked it off because it, they never really they never came to me and said it directly to me. Mm -hmm. You know, my teammates used to come and say that somebody said something to them. You know, so I kind of looked at it as like you were you 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 respect me enough not to come to me about it. Yeah. But you still want me to know that you thought it. So school, college probably was where I saw the most because, like I said, I went to a predominantly white Christian school. I should mm -hmm. say so. Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of, you know, Christian people look mm -hmm. at me a certain way. Yeah. Um, but I never really, I never really, it never really bothered me. Yeah. Because I was just always taught, you know, if it ain't directed, it's not respected. That's, mm -hmm. that, it's cliche to say, but if it never came to me, it was never something I had to address yeah. at that, at that, that point. It was it really wasn't something 
that had to be addressed as far as I had to take action. Unlike now, where you have black brothers being killed, and even though it's not directly affecting me, it's like I almost, you know, I had to say something. Yeah. Because that definitely could be me, my brothers, you know, you, teammates, anybody. So um, now it's like, okay, okay, Kevin, what's what's your take on everything about it? And uh, that's really why when you asked me to come speak, I really, I had no problem with saying yes, because I think um, dialogue is the best way to start. Yeah. Talking is, is is the best way to to get the the the, the thoughts out mm-hmm. and get the ideas out. So yeah, for you. So what are you seeing right now? With we 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 had ourselves and and on. To, for my it was an onslaught. Like we went from. And I know for me, it was really hard with the Ahmad case because that's an hour and a half. That's not even right. that far from here. And then we transitioned to, we heard about Brianna, and then right. we transitioned to where we are now with George Floyd, which has now right. happened with protests, some turning to rioting and looting. Right. And that's a whole separate thing. And I've been trying to explain to friends that it's not just those things that this has been a buildup for me since that first moment since i mean if i think about my lifetime what i was when i was aware that like okay things aren't matching because i think the first time i I felt like a wave was trayvon martin was a big wave and there's the the list is huge like they think some newspaper had put out every single name so trying to explain the collectivist mindset. Right. Because I think that's what is happening is like as whatever you want to call black people, African Americans, right. we have that collectivist mindset of like this is family and they're all connected. Right. It's not an individual case. So for you, what has that experience been like of just these like this crazy Man, year? This the year is one, but it's been going on so long. Savannah's yeah. had his own run-ins with police things like that that yeah. some people may not even have remembered, you know. Mm-hmm. Years ago we've lost we lost somebody, you know, to 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 gun, you know, police brutality. Um it's 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 like like I said before, it's almost like it's a norm. Yeah. But the problem is I feel like it's a it's a game of don't get caught. Mm. It's a game of don't be seen because it's no telling how many George Floyds have happened in the in the world that nobody saw. Yeah. It's no telling how many situations happened that because nobody saw it, it's no justice being served. Uh the kid down in Valdosta who was found in the mat. Yeah. It, it was because nobody saw what happened, it's no justice has been served for him. Um it's so many situations now with police brutality and hate crimes that are now being seen. Now we're trying to hold people accountable. But what about the ones that we don't know about? Yeah. Though that's that's the scary part about it. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost like unless that camera is out, we almost have to think that the, the justice system isn't going to do anything about it. It's just going to be another another situation another yeah. another african american you know gone for whatever reason or 
what they call foul play is yeah. what was kind of like the the thing they say now when they can't really give you a it wasn't foul play I, I should say you know they try to give you another reason why somebody died or, um but these last couple of weeks have probably been the scariest the most depressing yeah and the the angriest time of a lot of our lives because now we're a part of history yeah now we're a part of what's going on, you know. The riding and looting that's happened is things that our grandparents told us about, you know, from Rodney King, mm. you know, years and years ago. And to be a part of it and actually see what's really going on, it's it's almost like, wow. Like, and I made the joke a couple of days ago. I said, man, whatever kid is in history class years from now that's going to talk about 2020, that's probably going to be a, a history class by itself. Yeah. Because... <laughs> So much has been going on, but mm -hmm. it, it's it's sad that it has come to this. I mean, and, and it's even sadder that we have to have this going on, these riots, this loot, and these protests to, to get justice. I mean, Ice Cube said it, that the U.S. And, and the government has made more people help more people get affected by the coronavirus now because there's thousands of people marching. Yeah. Because of four policemen not getting acquitted. And that speaks volume. That makes you think. How many people do you think maybe really going to catch coronavirus because of something that could have been handled? Yeah. I mean, why are we discussing, you know, if a policeman should be charged with murder or first degree or third degree murder where we deliberately seize him you know, put his knee on his neck. Why are we discussing should the guys who shot Ahmad be charged when we saw them chase him down, we saw them corner him in? Why are we discussing why Breonna Taylor is getting, you know, why why are officers not being charged that when they went into the house for a raid, it was in the wrong house? So yeah. why is that even it's no reason we should be discussing those matters because it's it's right there. But the problem is the system isn't for us. The system wasn't made to protect us. I mean, and it's it's we're protecting policemen more than the people they're supposed to serve. No. And I think that that's been the interesting thing lately is noticing how many people are aware right now and how many people want to be a part of the discussion right now. And how many people want, because I do think this happening in the backdrop of coronavirus has kind of put people in a position where they can't get away from it. Like, even if you're working, your time is right. shorter. Like, right. there's not as much to do. There's things that are open, but not as much. And there are even some places, I think that's why we're seeing New Zealand do a, a march. Right. I think that's why we're seeing it, at, like, globally, people, like, kind of, Trying cocking their head to the side, like right. what's going on right. right now? Because we aren't as busy, so we're almost forced right. to look at it. But it has been these last couple of weeks. I will say has been like that roller coaster for me too, emotionally, of like feeling all of the feelings at the same time. And so, what about you personally? Like, what have how, how has it felt for you personally? Uh, my biggest thing is I tell myself I gotta live every day. Mm -hmm. um, I made a statement. You, it's pretty much you. You had to. Only person can change what's going on is God Himself. Yeah. You know, God he has to is the only person that could change what's going on in the world. 
So biggest thing I could do is just pray every day that when I walk out the house, I'm able to come home to my daughter. Mm. I mean, it's it's a scary statement because you know we shouldn't have to have to live like that. But I mean, gotta live your life and just understand, you know, find your purpose, find what what you're supposed to do, and just pray that God, you know, protects you and keeps you in His arms. And every your walk every day is just, you know, you don't know. We don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know. Um, I, I see it, and it, it, it's made me angry because I'm a black man in America. I coach young black men that's gonna grow up in this this world, and I think that I have to be, I have to be stern and focused so that I can show them that they have to live their life a certain way. I can't, yeah. even if I am fearful of things, I can't show them that because I have to teach them. This is what you do. This is how you live, and this is how you carry yourself, so that you don't get put in a situation like that. Because that's all we can do. Yeah. Because I mean, how many people have been wrongfully convicted of things, and how many people have lost their life to police that weren't doing anything? But then you have those instances where, you know. Some have provoked police, and I hate to say it because you know that's that's not what we want to hear. Yeah. But there has been instances where you have provoked the police or put yourself in a certain situation. Now, do I think that happened every time? No, not of, not, not 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 at all. But we have to look at both parts to it because the police brutality has to stop, but we also have to you know carry ourselves a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that to, you know, make anybody mad or or say, like, oh, man, you can't say that. But, I mean, it's, it's situations where you, you put yourself in those situations. Yeah. So um, that's just how we have to live our life and carry ourselves. Like I said, you can't control everything. You can control you. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, have to, I look at everything right now. Um that's the real the, the 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 realization of everything. That I pray that it ain't your turn. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's that's really how I look at it right now. Yeah. No, I think that that is a very honest, and I appreciate you like sharing that because it is that. Like you can't be struck down by your fear to where you're not living your life, but you also can't be naive and All pretend right. that things aren't happening. How do you respond to those that, because I think the the biggest thing that I hear is that comparison between gun violence and like, so the violence that we have in our communities versus the police brutality. And sometimes when we're talking about, like right now, that's an elevated issue that we're talking about. And so I feel like there's a distinct, these are two separate conversations. One is a conversation in terms of like, support but that one is compounded with like what you talked about with conviction rates where they live um do they have support versus police brutality which is a different topic hate crimes which is a different separate thing so first do you ever get those questions and second if you did how how do you explain the difference between the two and and truthfully 
one point I said that we can't we can't speak on police brutality until we we fix home. Mm-hmm. But then I realized it's you can't compare the two. Yeah. As a police officer, you are sworn in to protect and serve, mm-hmm. and you are given certain you know ways to carry yourself, certain tools to carry yourself that doesn't have to be turned into gunshots with bullets. I mean, you see what's going on, right? All of them got rubber bullets. You know, they got tasers. They got these different things. Um, and you see it more often than none. I mean, Dylan Roof shoots up. I think that's when it shot up the, the church. Mm-hmm. He walks out and has on, you know, he's, he's vice grip. Uh, Eric Gardner was on the ground for selling cigarettes and CDs, whatever he was doing. And, and, and George Floyd was whatever forging checks or whatever is you can't compare the two. Because it's a different reality to both of them. Yeah, is the crime in the community supposed to be there? No. Is it is it bad? Very bad. But when you your job is to protect and serve, you are to protect and serve. Now, are you supposed to be fearful? No. I think that police are scared. Mm-hmm. Some of them are threatened, and I think that they're acting off of their their emotion and their thought process outside of that uniform. Yeah. And I think that's the psychological downfall of some of these police officers because they 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 are threatened. Mm-hmm. And once you feel threatened, it's just like a a dog in the corner. Mm-hmm. It's going to attack, and mm-hmm. I think that's what's going on right now. Um, and the fact that people comparing them, it's almost like they're not trying to see the problem. You know, yeah. white white on white crime, black on black crime, Asian on Asian crime. Like, okay, we get those. But when you have police brutality and hate crimes, those are for reasons. A hate crime is because you don't like the color of somebody's skin or you don't like the religion or you don't like the way they live or whatever. That's That's a different type of crime. Because now... You're disliking somebody for something that's out of your control. Mm-hmm. And for anybody to take a life because of what you dislike about somebody or some part of somebody else's life, that's a problem. As a police, taking a life of a, you know, a civilian is is different if you're supposed to be apprehending them. Once yeah. you apprehend them and it's for y'all you call backup, it's no reason. Unless there's a weapon, unless like you are being threatened with a weapon or you know any, I, I just don't see how you murder somebody and you don't take certain protocol. Like in Louisville, none of them had their cameras on. Your job is to protect and serve. Why is your camera off? I mean, those are things that's going on right now that shows you cannot compare. Community crimes to police brutality and hate crimes. I mean, it's just the fact that we even have, you know, you have people comparing the two and not really seeing that's the problem. I feel like if if you're justifying the, the problem, you're part of the problem. Yeah. And I think that's what's going on. And that's probably the hardest thing right now because it's going on. I mean... Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's tough. It's tough because now you have the fear of police. Yeah. 
you know, now you're, you're, you're scared of police. And I honestly think it might get worse because of this, the, the fear of police. And police are just as scared. Because like I said, every police isn't bad, mm-hmm. but it's almost like you're under the umbrella now. Whether you're a good police, great cop, like it doesn't really matter because it, it doesn't it doesn't show anything. Like it's it's pretty much us against them. Yeah. Because I mean, if you look, you you're trying to gain our trust, man. But how how can you really do that? Marching with us isn't just because you marching with us and taking a knee with us isn't going to change anything, you know. Especially if you if it's already been done. I mean. Seeing the police march with us and kneel with, kneel with us, those, I mean, hey, okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. But what's next? I mean. Yeah, and I think that's been the question for a very long time. And I think that that's what stops us is because it is so large and something that I've been telling myself daily and as I've been praying over it, it's just asking God what, like what impact can I have right now? Right. Because I do re- believe in ripples. I do believe that I can affect the people in my orbit and they're going to, I want everybody who enters my orbit to leave right. with something, right. whether it's encouragement or a, a resource or a direction to go or a new skill. Right. And I want them to be able to leave. And then with that, they can, go inspire someone else and go inspire someone else. I was talking to my sister about like, I want, I really want for this time around to be inspiring the right people, right? inspiring people who have different, because I don't have, I mean, I'm a counselor, so right. I'm really big into supporting people mental health wise. That's my gifting. But I would love to see people being activated in their skill set, being like a lawyer being activated, a person who's a doctor, someone who creates music. Like if we can keep, just keep it to what we can do instead of, because I love the marching. I love the protests. I love the collectivism because we're supporting each other in this moment. But after that, my and so, biggest thing. Yeah, what is your perspective of what's next? Uh, just putting plans in motion. Um, dialogue once again. That's probably what it stands still is that just trying to figure out what to do next. Um, I think just, just really just getting the people together and just seeing what they want and seeing how they can carry themselves. Um, one thing I, I can honestly say, to gain trust back of police, I feel like they have to take themselves out of that badge and put themselves in our shoes, mm. almost. Regardless if you feel how we feel, when you had that uniform on, you're at work, you're doing your job. So you could tell me all day you feel what I'm feeling, but you're on the other side right there. And like I said, every, I, I got friends that are police, you know, and I think they had to take that badge off and and, and go, go where, go, go in and be there and be you, not officer such and such, not sergeant such and such, but be first name, last name. Mm-hmm. And, and let's see people for who you are, because at the end of the day, 
your job is to protect and serve. That's just your job. You're still a, a man. You're still a woman after that. So go out and be that person in your community. Show who you are without the badge on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the first thing. I think we have to get to the point where we see police for who they are. Because growing up, you always was feared of police. This, this isn't the... You always didn't want to deal with police. Police are always considered bad people. Mm-hmm. You see the police, that's it's bad. Something bad gonna happen. Like that's the that's the stereotype of police. I mean, that's what they are. They're they're here to mm-hmm. you got something wrong, they put the fix it and take care of it for, for for you know, somewhat. So I think that's that's the first step. Um I mean that's the hardest thing, trying to find what's next. Yeah. What would you say, you know, for our listeners, like we have a mixed crowd. So we have we have men, we have women, we have different races. What would you say is something that a person could do? Love. Mm. Love conquers hate. Yeah. The Bible, you love what God loves, you hate what God hate. Mm -hmm. Man, love one another, regardless of the color of somebody's skin. You know, be a helping hand, smile, man, do what's right. I think some of my some of the best teammates I had were white. Mm-hmm. I had a teammate from Lithuania. I don't, I guess he was white. I always mm-hmm. call him beige or vanilla, but <laughs> <laughs> uh those are some of my best teammates, man. And I learned you have to love, man. Love conquers hate. That's mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing right now. It's so much hate going on, so yeah. much evil that nobody is showing genuine love. And once you start showing love and compassion, I think that's when things start to change. Mm-hmm. Um, the color of your skin, your, your 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 background, your preference, none of that matter. You know, love the next person, show love. You know, smile. Show somebody some type of compassion every day, no matter how, what's going on with you. And I think that's my biggest thing. You know, me, I, I started to feel like that's that was what I had to do. Yeah. Inspiring people isn't always just talking and telling them, you know, what you feel, what they should do. It's, it's just carrying yourself and showing that, you know, showing your your compassion and showing the love and, and just... Just smiling. You never know how long, how, how far a smile can take you. Um, you're you're living better than somebody on your worst day. That's mm-hmm. somebody's best day. Yeah. So every day you have to carry yourself and and just show love. Mm-hmm. That's that's the biggest thing. Um, we could write down as many plans. We could write down a list of things to do, man. But if there's no love behind it, it's not gonna be genuine. Yeah. And I think that's honestly what the world need. The world just pretty much need like a big old hug and just mm-hmm. everybody just say, I love you. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's what's going on right now. Um, that's it. Yeah, no, I, I I think that that's great because I think that that is so much of where's your heart. Right. Because just like you, you touched on, we can make plans. I can order every single book 
that is going to teach me about the racial divide or about a different culture or about something, a topic that I don't know anything about. And that's good. Education is great. Like I will never take away from that. But what is my heart posture? Because if I'm looking to educate myself so I can love somebody better, so I can walk in my purpose, then it's going to be helpful. But if I'm doing it just because I feel like I'm supposed to, or I'm doing it half-hearted, or I'm doing it so I can prove somebody wrong and prove my belief right, like right, then it's not going to take me anywhere. Um, I really do appreciate everything that you shared. And I mean, we touched on your background and the things that you're doing in terms of impacting youth and your direction and the things that you see in Savannah and wanting to help like stop the cycle of gun violence, but then where we are now, there's so many things. So, you know, you, you kind of touched on it, but I do want to ask you that if one of our listeners were to sit across from you and ask you, what, what's the challenge? What is the the thing that they could do? Where's the action step for them? Again, uh, I would tell somebody just show love every day for one and just carry yourself and do what's right. Mm-hmm. No matter what your stance on something is, if you know something is wrong, do what's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell them and challenge them to just live every day to the fullest and and just educate, get as much knowledge as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll never be the next person, but that doesn't mean you can't learn about them and, and grow with that person. Yeah, you know. I think that's that's the biggest challenge. Um, just live every day. I won't say like it's your last. I, I don't really like that cliche sentence mm-hmm. there, but live every day to the fullest and live it to the purpose of showing love to somebody. Yeah. No matter what you do, mm-hmm. know that what you're doing is could make somebody else smile. Yeah. No, because, I mean, empathy requires proximity. We need to be close to people right. to, to care about them. And right. so if we're not trying to see the world through someone else's eyes, which is right. my heart behind this podcast and my heart behind this interview is that someone who might not see the way you do right. would be willing to listen and hear you. Right. Because we don't always have to see the world the same, and I don't think we're supposed to. I think that that's the oh beauty God, of the body, the beauty of of innovation, is that we would all see it different and bring it to the table. So I really appreciate you coming. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. talking with me. And this has been the Neglected Podcast. See y'all later. Thank Bye. you.